The views expressed on this show by guests and the host on issues outside of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of architects and engineers for 9-11 truth. Welcome to 9-11 Freefall. I'm the host, Andy Steele, and we're going to be picking up where we left off in the last episode. If you remember, we were talking about conflicting theories of fire-induced collapses from the other side. They still can't get their story straight when it comes to the Twin Towers. Well, you're going to find out today that that is also the case uh, when they're talking about World Trade Center 7. They have so many conflicting theories. Of course, our story remains the same because that is what the evidence shows. That is what happened. It was a controlled demolition on that day, but it's a really good exploration of uh, how they can't even come to any agreement when they're trying to push this official story, do everything that they can to avoid saying that, hey, you know, let's look at uh, controlled demolition as an option. And we're gonna be joined again by the same guests as last time. Our first guest is Ted Walter. Ted is the Director of Strategy and Development here at AE 9-11 Truth. He holds a Master's of Public Policy degree from the University of California, Berkeley. And prior to his current role with AE 9-11 Truth, he was the Director of NYC CAN's 2014 High Rise Safety Initiative. He was a Volunteer Campaign Manager for AE 9-11 Truth's Rethink uh, 911 campaign in 2013 and the director of NYC CAN's 2009 Bell Initiative. He is the lead author of a very important book here in the 9-11 Truth Movement that is Beyond Misinformation and also World Trade Center Physics. It's a 13-page publication. And uh, he's also written the 2020 Request for Correction to the NIST World Trade Center 7 Report. That is a long intro, but this guy does a lot of work here. So let's bring him into the stream. Ted, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Andy. It's great to be on. And he has joined none other by Roland Angle, who is the CEO here at AE 9-11 Truth, and he's doing a great job. He graduated from the University of California, Berkeley with a Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering, and he became a licensed civil engineer in California. He served in the U.S. Army Special Forces, where he was trained in the use of explosives. His 50 years of engineering experience has included designing and testing of blast-hardened missile launch facilities and designing U.S. naval explosive containers, as well as harbor terminal facilities, earth foundation systems, and hydraulic systems. So he knows his stuff. In addition, Roland has owned three construction companies and has taught engineering subjects to high school students. Roland, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Andy. Glad to be back. Yeah. Uh, I'm just noticing, as I'm reading your bios here, that you're both graduates of the University of California, Berkeley. Do you guys know the school song? Roland? <laughs> uh, yeah. I would probably remember it if somebody sang it to me. 
<laughs> uh, just putting you on the spot here. I'm not going to make you sing it. But uh, <laughs> in all seriousness, though, I mean, this is very important to do because really diving into the other side, it's not just the NIST story that we have to go up against. I mean, we know what NIST says. We're taking them on in court right now. Uh, but there are so many other people that put out other theories. I mean, I've talked to architects who give me stories about what happened and they say that it couldn't have, or I say it couldn't have possibly happened. One guy tried to tell me that there was a simultaneous earthquake on the day of 9-11 and uh, that's why World Trade Center 7 went down, seismic activity and, and such. I mean, they just make stuff up because they can't come up with an explanation. Now, we focused again, uh, like I said, on the Twin Towers last week. We're going to be talking about Building 7 this week. Ted, why don't you set it up? Because uh, really, this was your idea, and uh, you have been doing a lot of research on it. So just give us an intro to some of the stuff that we're going to be covering today. Sure. Well, for folks who did not see uh, the last discussion that we had about this, where we focused on the various theories uh, regarding the Twin Towers. Um, we went through a presentation by Najib Baboud, um, who is a uh, principal, uh, managing principal at Widlinger Associates, uh, who did some studies into the collapse of the towers in Building 7, and basically looked at how, you know, his theory was one among, you know, a couple theories, mainly two competing theories when it comes to the Twin Towers, um, about how the towers came down. Abud interestingly, uh, you know, claimed that there was a that there was that there was a convergence of of key findings around how the twin towers came down, and also Building Seven, because he did a, he also led a study into Building Seven, and there's more more studies of Building Seven, and all of them have again different, essentially conflicting theories. Um, so we looked at his presentation two two weeks ago and critiqued it, and I think it's very you know. In some ways, it's so common sense that it can almost be hard to explain. But when you have, um, when the, the the sort of the official narrative that we've been given, and you have two or more different theories that sort of are trying to explain how these buildings came down due to fire, and we're supposed to all accept that it was fire, and yet there there is not consensus. They cannot reach consensus. Um, that is a problem, and as as and, and it really reveals that there's not any strong evidence for any one of those uh, collapse initiation mechanisms. Um, and Roland, um, you know, rightly stated that this is a real problem for the engineering profession. We can't have two sort of different theories, fire-based theories of how the Twin Towers came down 20 years later um, as a profession, that's just not acceptable. And so a consensus really should be reached. Um, and the paper that we're gonna look at today, which is focused on building seven, you know, that the author of this paper, his name is Jose Torero, is a little more transparent about the fact that there's not consensus around um, what caused the collapse of Building 7, according to all the engineers out there who, you know, who believe that fires brought it down, or who are saying that fires brought it down. Um, he's more transparent about it, whereas Abood tries to claim that there is still a convergence, there's still something of a consensus. But when you have completely different collapse initiation mechanisms, that's not a consensus at all. Um, so. Abud's study is one of the handful of studies that is talked about in Torero's paper. Uh, his name is Jose Torero, and he published a paper um, just a year and a half ago uh, with a few other researchers that was basically just doing sort of a survey of the handful of different studies, um, studies that are sort of in the realm of officialdom 
um, about how Building 7 came down, because as we'll see, he omits um, the, the study at the University of Alaska Fairbanks by Professor Leroy Halsey. He, met, he omits a lot of other research, um, but he lists, he goes through, um, I wanna say four different studies. So we're gonna just talk about them study by study. Um, and uh, but we can, I think we, we can kick it off by, um, you know, if unless Roland, if you wanna add anything, playing one clip from Abood's presentation that will just sort of uh, kick things off. Um, so yeah, Roland, is there anything you wanna to add to that or should we go into um, Abood's clip? No, I think that's a that's a good summary. I mean, as engineers, we're looking for a consensus as to the cause of this catastrophic failure, and we're not finding it. And yet you have people that were associated with or part of the stories that are the official story claiming that there is consensus, and that's just not true. So let's look at the let's look at the studies. All right, so Ted, you lead the way. Uh, you want me to play the first clip for you? Um, yeah, let's go. Let's run it. So uh, I think it's important to understand that that's not part necessarily of the public narrative, as to the sheer amount of investigation and brains and totally independent bodies. So this is not the voice of one side. This is the voice of many scientists and engineers from different groups looking at it. And I would say at the end of the day, the conclusions largely are converge around certain specific findings that I'll mention at the end. So as, as we see here, um, he lists a number of studies. Most of these that he lists are related to the Twin Towers, the first, uh, the first four. Um, the fifth one is his own study into the collapse of Building 7 uh, that was performed um, well, actually when he was at Weidlinger. I mentioned before that he's a principal at Weidlinger. He's now a principal at Thornton Tomasetti because they merged. Um, but in any case, so he, he lists as number five in that list um, his study into the collapse of Building 7. There's actually uh, several others. There's, of course, there's the NIST investigation, which we're going to talk about a little bit. There's also the competing study that was performed by uh, an engineering firm called Arup, um, and together with another firm called uh, Guy Nordenson Associates, um, which these were, to, to put this in perspective, two opposing sides of a lawsuit, Con Edison suing uh, Silverstein Properties, Larry Silverstein, uh, over the collapse of Building 7, saying that the collapse of Building 7 destroyed um, the substation that was located underneath it. And what, what um, Con Edison was trying to prove was that Building 7 collapsed due to a design flaw. Um, and so the, the, the Arup analysis, the Arup Norrison analysis is essentially geared towards that. How can we find a flaw? How can we attribute this collapse to some sort of flaw in the design of Building, building 7? Um, the Silverstein side was interesting. It was trying to prove that there was no way that we could have accounted for the, the, the amazing events that happened on September 11th. There's no way that you could design for this, that you could um, anticipate these events and design for these sorts of circumstances and these conditions. And therefore there wasn't any, there wasn't any flaw with the building. So they were having a very specific debate about whether there was a flaw in the building or whether there, it was, these were extraordinary circumstances and that's why the building collapsed. Um, and as a result, I mean, it's kind of odd and you have to wonder why Con Edison would not actually go for the hypothesis that accounts for all the evidence, which is that 
Building 7 was demolished and sue perhaps Silverstein if they think he's he's guilty of it um, for bringing down the building and destroying their substation. Why go for this theory that is totally unsupported by the evidence um, that there was a design flaw with Building 7 and that was the cause of its collapse? We don't know that, but what we see is all these engineers in this lawsuit for lots of money, it's all existing in basically like fantasy land that they're having this debate about why the building collapsed. Um, the other study that we're going to, so, so he doesn't list that study for some reason, he says, and others. So presumably he was referring to the, um, to the, to the Arab study. Um, Torero also was a expert a witness on behalf of Con Edison and presents a different theory from Arab, which we're going to see in a little bit. Um, I'm not sure of the logic of why Con Edison presented two different theories. Um, maybe the idea is being, well, it had to be one of these two reasons that the building came down, um, both of which are related to design uh, defects. Um, but so there's, you've got three different theories being put forward in this lawsuit. And then of course you have the NIST theory as well, which is totally different from them. Um, so, and, and again, as we've already noted, Abood likes to claim that there is some sort of consensus. Uh, when there when there truly is not. Um, so, Roland, do you want to add anything? No, other than the fact that, as you point out, there were there are other studies. We we paid for the University of Alaska to do a study on the failure of this building, and it came to a completely different conclusion uh, that fires didn't bring the building down at all, and it was. Uh, due to the simultaneous removal of all the columns in the building over eight floors, which would indicate that it would have had to have been controlled demolition. But all the studies that Abood cites here, when he talks about consensus in a very broad sense, he could claim that because they're all claiming that fires brought the building down. And the problem is that, all right, if you believe that fires brought the building down, how did the fires bring the building down? What was it that happened that caused the building to collapse in the way that it did? And they can't agree on that. So uh, what they're saying is we all come to the same conclusion, but we can't tell you how we came to the same conclusion, which is uh, an anomaly and can't, it can't stand really. You, you, you can't allow that kind of diversity of uh, uh, conclusion to uh, exist in the, in the literature and in our in our professional uh, understanding of what happened that day. So let's look at the three different, let's look at the different mechanisms that they propose for how the building collapsed due to fire. Yeah, and I'll just say, um, Abood does not want to talk about building seven in the presentation that he gave uh, last fall, which we critiqued two weeks ago. Um, but we have this paper from Jose Torero, which he published a year and a half ago. And so that's gonna be the vehicle the way you, that we use to look at these, um, that these different conflicting theories. So Andy, why don't we go to that slide and show. All right, so this is the, the cover page for the paper and um, research gate. The collapse of World Trade Center 7 revisited. You see there Jose Torero on the bottom right. Um, and a few other researchers, all from the Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Um, and why don't we go? Why don't we jump ahead to some of the key, the key statements in the beginning of that paper? I think they're next. 
All right, it says, as the first tall steel frame building to collapse solely due to fire, World Trade Center 7 has gained a reputation as a major incentive for bettering the community awareness of the risks fire poses to buildings. Despite this, the collapse of World Trade Center 7 is not as well understood as what one may think considering its importance to the field. That is from Torero. All right, and then go to the next slide here. Oh, I can click ahead. Oh, okay. Sorry, All right. So after years of investigation by some of the world's leading experts in both fire and structural engineering, there remains multiple possible hypotheses without any consensus on how the building behaved and failed because of the fire. And you want me to do the next one? I think we can just pause there for a second. There's not much more to add, but he's laying out there in a more transparent way than Abu did in his presentation, <laughs> that there are multiple hypotheses. It's interesting that he calls them possible. Um, when we look at them in particular, when we, we've because we've exhaustive, exhaustively studied NIST, we find that it's not possible. Um, and when you dig into the Abood uh, paper, which is, you know, Abood's, um, report he he was actually his one of his goals was to rebut the claims that there was a design defect and so he actually makes some pretty good arguments for why the arab uh nordenson analysis is flawed you know so so they're actually you know when it comes to the lawsuit they're actually all fighting against each other and trying to say why each other's hypotheses are incorrect so that, to then turn around and say we have a consensus here um you know it doesn't really doesn't really fly um, and, and as I said, Abud makes some some arguments against the Arab Nordenson theory that, that we've also uh, been making, uh, that Tony Zambodi has been making um, for, for some time. Uh, so I think the, the next thing that we want to talk about before we jump into lo looking at these different theories, it's very important to note, and this is something that is left out of all of the engineering studies, you know, as if the only thing that they care about is computer models um, and, and building and drawings and so on, um, what's left out are the circumstances surrounding the building's collapse. And, and especially the fact that the collapse of Building 7 was predicted for almost, you know, upwards of six hours or more um, prior, to its, prior to the actual collapse. Um, and this has been pointed to by many, obviously, in the 9-11 research community as a major issue. How can you predict a building um, how can you predict something that is so so unlikely, so improbable when there's never been a, a, a collapse of a, a high-rise building due to fire before? Um, and we, so we were all, most people watching this are going to be familiar with that argument. We're going to show some of the some of the things that were said, both um, things that firefighters have talked about and things that were in the media, um, just to give a better understanding of this foreknowledge. But the thing that I think we're really interested in emphasizing here is the transition from this event being totally predictable, without a doubt it's gonna to happen, to the engineering community then being totally baffled and unable for 20 years to come up with a uh, an explanation that everybody can agree on as to how it came down. So we're gonna look at that, that evolution. So why don't we go, actually before we do that, let's, let's jump to the next slide here. Um, I was going to show some, we're going to look at some news clips, but first, 
Here's something, Andy, why don't you go ahead and read it? But yeah, it's something that's we're, we're looking now at the FDNY oral histories and firefighters who were down there on the day of 11 talking about uh, the imminent collapse of Building 7. Sure. It says a police officer came up to me and told me that the facade in front of World 7 World Trade Center was gone and they thought there was an imminent collapse of 7 World Trade Center. I felt the location we were at was too close to 7 World Trade Center. So we advised citywide we were moving the staging area to North End and Greenwich Street, probably around 11, 11.30. We reestablished at North End and Greenwich Street. Uh, that's from FDNY Lieutenant William Melorango. So a couple interesting things to point out about this. This was... Um, he says around 11, 11.30. So basically that's around the time that, that he was told that there was an imminent collapse of, of Building 7. Uh, very early on, less than an hour after the second tower had come down and more than six hours uh, before the collapse of Building 7. They were already being told to get away from Building 7 because there was a, a risk of collapse or an imminent collapse. Um, it's also interesting to note that early on, if you look when you look at more of these reports, Early on, the story was, oh, the facade is very damaged, um, the south the south facade facing the towers. Uh, structural, lots of structural damage to this building. As the day went on, the warnings that it was gonna come down tended to gravitate more than towards, oh, that there were fires in the building. Um, but so within these um, predictions of, of the, that the building is gonna come down, you had different rationales, um, and, but, but there was an overall evolution from the idea that it was really damaged and it was going to come down to, oh, there's all these fires and it's going to come down. We can just go to the next one. There's a couple more of these slides. All right. This one says, then I remember seeing like a few different chiefs at the corner of West Street and Vesey Street throughout the day. They became very concerned about the condition of number seven world trade and where we were in vicinity to that. They kept announcing the collapse and who's moving, and we got pushed further and further west. That's FDNY, FDNY firefighter David Moriarty. Okay. Yeah, the main point of, of sharing this slide is to just point out that the um, the warnings were coming from a relatively small number of people. Um, the uh, Graham McQueen uh, wrote an excellent paper on this called Waiting for Seven, where he showed that there were comments from the um, FDNY personnel, about 50 of them, and, and showed that actually, because there was an argument made that, oh, they rationally concluded that the building was damaged and on fire and would likely collapse. You know, they, they all had this observation and looked at it and made that conclusion. When you actually study the, the um, oral histories, you find that the vast majority of them were told that it was gonna come down. They didn't judge that for themselves. So um, just a little more context there. Why don't we go to the next slide? It says, <clears throat> they pulled us all back at the time, almost about an hour before it, because they were sure. They knew it was going to come down, but they weren't sure. So they pulled everyone back and everybody stood there and we actually just waited and just waited and waited until it went down because it was unsafe. That's from FDNY EMT Joseph Fortas. Okay, so... They were sure that the building was going to come down. There was certainty and so much certainty that everyone just stood back and waited, even though they knew that there were, you know, thousands of people um, trapped in the debris, um, you know, possibly still alive. But the, the whole rescue operation was put off because 
they were so certain that Building 7 was going to come down. So what, let's jump now to looking at a few of the news reports out of all this certainty that building was going to come down that started filtering into the media. Um, and uh, why don't we go with the breaking news CBS2 clip. All right. We've heard in the last few minutes is that there's now some concern about world oh. trade number seven. I'm just, this is the first clip that where we actually hear some concrete news that building seven, that they're concerned about building seven. This was at 11.55 a.m. So a little less than an hour after the news started circulating among the emergency personnel that building seven was in danger of black, 11.55 a.m. Uh, which ironically is where the uh, the mayor's office of emergency management uh, has a bunker uh, centered. Apparently there's some concern about the facade there. Uh, they're not uh, occupying uh, that location at this time from what we hear. So again, early on, it was the damage to the building, damage to the south facade. And as we'll see, the story changes a little bit if we go to the next video. Building right there, the brown building, the tall one, is number seven, World Trade Center. I've heard several reports from several different officers now that that is the building that is going to go down next. In fact, one officer told me they're just waiting for that to come down at this point, that there's no way it's going to be recovered and there's no way that they can stabilize it. All right, let's, uh, that's a little later in the afternoon, like mid-afternoon. That is the building that's going to go down next. Uh, why don't we go to the, actually, I think I have to upload the next clips. One second. Sure. While you're doing that, I mean, I just want to ask Roland, I mean, how important is it that they need to have their story straight on why this building came down? And also the fact that, uh, as Ted is pointing out, all these reports that the building is going to come down, most of these people were told that it was going to come down and they just waited. And you got to imagine a chaotic situation like September 11th going on. You know, a lot of people are going to be following orders that day. Um, but, you know, despite this, uh, NIST had a trouble getting a handle on Building 7 by their own admission. Do you have any comments on that real quick, Roland? NIST admitted, and everyone that studied the, the structure admitted that this was a unique occurrence. The building hadn't been hit by a plane. There were some fires in the building. There was some damage to the facade. But for somebody at that point in the, in the day's events to have concluded that that building was going to collapse is absolutely fantastic. I don't, I don't see any basis for it. And Someone, there was somebody in the chain of command that had the authority to make that kind of a judgment. We've heard in other places, supposedly they talked to an engineer at some point and the engineer said that the building was gonna come down within four to five hours. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's straight out of fantasy land. I don't, this, the way in which they're, they're uh, uh, theorizing why the building came down due to thermal expansion of some of the steel uh, floor members would have been, you, you couldn't have determined that from standing on the outside of the building and, and looking at it. And there was, they knew enough about fires in tall frame buildings to understand that they don't collapse due to fire. The towers at least had been hit by a plane and so I can understand their concern or their knowledge that, of course, those buildings had collapsed, but this was a different case. This building had not been hit by a plane, had some minor damage to the facade. 
there's no way that somebody could have determined that that building was going to collapse and predicted it so accurately. It's just beyond it's beyond belief. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. I mean, FEMA initially said that their best hypothesis had a low probability of occurrence, but yet you have all these sources on the news predicting that this event that had never happened before, steel frame high-rise, falling because of fire, completely collapsing, straight down symmetric, never happened before. They're predicting it with all this accuracy, maybe even right down to the to the minute it would happen. I think they said something like five hours later or something to that effect, it's going to come down, and it pretty much did come down. And speaking of this engineer that's supposedly advising the fire department and all of these people, where is he? Who is he? I've never seen this person featured on any shows that claim to be debunking us. I don't hear of any of them being cited by any of uh, NIST or any of these uh, people that try to take us on. I'll tell you what, if he wants to step forward, I'll be happy to bring him here on 9-11 freefall. But I don't think that's going to happen. You know, I, uh, prove me wrong. But it seems well, like if we had this person on the street making this determination, we would be hearing more from him, and we don't. That person would have a would have a well-established claim to fame. And the fact that we, we don't know who that person is or who these people were that were making this decision to this day is very telling because you would think that they would proudly step forward and say, well, this is, this is, we knew this and, and they could, they could collect all the, uh, all the glory for their foreknowledge. However, nobody has ever stepped forward to make that claim. So we don't know where this came from. And, and before anyone out there says, oh, he doesn't want any attention on him, fine. But go ahead and interview him. If you're somebody out there who is interested in this and you're, you oppose us, go ahead and call him on the phone, take some notes and give some credit uh, some ownership to this determination to this person on the street. I want to know who it is. I won't bother him if he doesn't want to come forward or, or be a public person. But let's know where this determination was coming from. That's how a real investigation is done. But of course, NIST was not interested in that. Um, so let's get back to Ted's presentation because he has the video clips uploaded. Uh, Ted, do you want to yeah. uh, introduce this next clip? Sure. Uh, this is well, just another one. This it'll it'll speak for itself. But I do we do have the one that you guys are referring to with the engineer, um, you know, the engineer telling them five hours. You got five hours, and the building's gonna come down. So we'll we'll get to that soon. Yeah. So are we able to play this one? I don't think I'm able to play it, Andy. Oh sure. Here we go. <clears throat> you hear that? Keep your eye on that building. coming down. Closer to the building, it was almost like nighttime. What was left of the building was a fiery hulk. The firefighters thought it might collapse. Pieces of the building kept falling. Rescue workers pushed people away from the scene. We are walking back. There's a building about to blow up. All flame, debris coming down. All right, well, there, there you have it. Um, the building is that building is going to be coming down. The building is about to blow up. Um, that person, for many years, I figured that that was a some you know emergency personnel. It's actually he was actually a cameraman for CNN, um, and I saw this. Um, I, I came across like a Facebook discussion between uh, the the reporter for CNN. There um, suddenly her name is escaping me, um, but uh, it was her cameraman. His name is Joe Cantali. Um, so he was there filming it and was told by 
law enforcement or somehow got the impression that the building was going to be brought down because he said the building is about to blow up. Um, you basically have the explanation right there before it happens. Um, you don't need to do 20 years of investigation. If you just kind of look at all the evidence surrounding how the building came down, the circumstances, um, let's, let's look at now. A lot of people are going to be familiar with the next clip where it's actually, let's go ahead and play it. It's a BBC, um, news report at 457. So 23 minutes before the building came down. Here he is just coming in, actually, that the Salomon Brothers building in New York, right in the, uh, the heart of Manhattan, has also collapsed. Okay, so that was the first time that BBC reported it. It was at 4.57 p.m., 23 minutes beforehand. They announced the collapse of Building 7 before it happened. Most people watching this presentation, though not everybody, um, are, will be familiar with that report. Um, you can sort of speculate. I think the, the baseline explanation is that the um, they were so certain that it was going to come down that it, the media obviously had been ingesting this idea for a long time and it sort of mutated into the building has come down. Now, some people hypothesize that there is some sort of a script that they were that they were reading off the events that were going to happen that, that were going to happen or something like that. And that they that see it, that BBC got the wire early or something. I don't know. I don't really know exactly how news is made at a minute to minute level. Uh, but what I do know in the way that I sort of maybe the simplest way to interpret this is that they were um, and the problem here, the real problem is that anybody had any idea that this was going to come down and that the authorities were so certain it was going to come down that it was being widely reported and widely reported to the extent that you could make a mistake and say the building has come down. Um, that's, I think, the big issue here. Um, if we look at the next clip, uh, we'll see that another, uh, this is a local CBS, actually uh, reported it just before it happened. This may be happening less than like 30 seconds before it happened. And this will be our first chance for people who haven't seen the collapse of Building 7 yet uh, to actually see it. This just into Seven World Trade Center, which is the building that is there burning now. We are getting reports that it might have collapsed. It is the building that has been on fire all day long, and we are getting reports that it might have collapsed. Uh, joining us on the phone now is Scott Metzo. Scott was actually on the 81st floor at the World Trade Center when this tragedy happened this morning. Scott, are you with us? I am. Scott, tell us uh, where you were and uh, what you saw. I was in One World Trade Center. I was on the 81st floor, the south side of the building. Uh, a little before 9, we heard an explosion. Scott, let me interrupt. You are watching Building 7 at the World Trade Center collapse. That is the collapse of Building 7 at the World Trade Center. So there you go. Um, let's move on. I think we just got two more left here, um, but these are very important ones. So, okay. <clears throat> All right. So the next one? Yeah, the next one. On the phone with uh, New York Fire Department Lieutenant uh, David. And this is now Building 7 has just gone down, and Brian Williams is interviewing this um, FDNY lieutenant. David Restuccio, Lieutenant, where are you right now? I'm at the corner of Norm, Northmore Street and Greenwich Street. Can you confirm it was number seven that just went in? Yes, sir. Um, and you were—you guys knew this was coming all day. 
We had, been ha we had heard reports that the building was unstable and that it eventually would either come down on its own or it would be taken down. Okay, so you have a very important piece of information there, which is that this FDNY lieutenant was told that the building it might come down or might be taken down. So right there you have um, this hypothesis handed to you on a, on a silver platter, um, and then it actually looks exactly like a controlled demolition. Um, I think at this point, anybody who was investigating this building collapse seriously would have immediately made, um, would have interviewed folks down there and made, made controlled demolition there their primary hypothesis for why it came down. Right. And let me just ask Roland really quick. Roland, as an engineer, how do you take down a how do you take down a burning building in a day? Well that would be a very difficult proposition. They would have had to plant the explosives, which means you've got to get in the building. You've got to know what the you've got to know enough about the building plans and structure to know where to plant the uh, explosives. You've got to get hold of the explosives and you've got to plant them and you've got to uh, wire the whole thing. And this is not something that could be done in a matter of hours. This would take days, if not weeks, uh, even under ideal circumstances. And with the building on fire, that's, that's an impossibility. So it's strange to me that, that the fire department person there would be making the inference that the building that it could be taken down when he had just seen it fall, he he must have known that that was not a possibility for them to have done that that day. So I don't. Uh, it, it just it just doesn't make sense. I, I'm sure that maybe in the beginning they thought, well, let's let's uh, let's float the idea that maybe it was taken down by controlled demolition. But any examination of the of the facts would indicate that that was not a possibility unless they had been pre-planted. And so that's why they decided to stay away from that, even considering that hypothesis at all, because to even consider it would have, would have uh, discounted the whole notion that this was due to uh, fires. It would have had to have been something that was pre-planned and that would call into a question all the events of that day and who was responsible for them. Right. Well, next time I have a firefighter on this show, I'm going to ask him how many times you've been at a fire scene and, and had people running in with explosive charges under their arms, kind of elbowing past you saying, okay, you guys do your thing. We're going to do ours. I have never heard of that happening before. It's so ridiculous, but here you go in that clip. The first time that I know of someone's introducing the idea of controlled demolition, and I find it very high, highly unlikely that the guy was just making it up in his head. Oh, they're going to take it down. Somebody told him that. All right, Ted, uh, why don't you pick up? Okay, and this is the clip you guys were referring to. I'm actually not able to play the next video. I can only play it once. Okay. Deputy Chief of the New York Fire Department that day remembers the scene. Well, we had uh, our special operations people set up surveying instruments to monitor and see if there was any movement in the building. Uh, we were concerned of the possibility of collapse of the building. And we had a discussion with one particular engineer there, and we asked him if we uh, allowed it to burn, uh, could we anticipate a collapse, and if so, how soon? And it turned out that he was pretty much right on the money, that he said uh, in its current state, about you have about five hours. Some people have interpreted this anticipation of collapse as evidence that the fire department and others were planning its destruction. 
All right. Well, we do, we spoke of that, about that one earlier. Um, you know, impossible and absurd that somebody could plan, I mean, could um, predict the collapse with that sort of certainty or that anybody would even try and say like, oh, it's going to happen in five hours. Um, it's kind of the, the, the end of this clip is interesting because they say, oh, this is what pe people are using this to say that the fire, fire department was planning, was involved in a conspiracy to bring down the building. And that's really unfortunate and I think intentional to sort of um, delegitimize and be sort of divisive and, um, you know, make people in the firefighting community think that 9-11 truth researchers and activists are, you know, accusing them, accusing their department of being part of a conspiracy is a, is a great way to, like, divide people. Um, and the truth, of course, is, you know, if, you know, looking at all this foreknowledge, as Roland said before, the people that were in command there, probably the most plausible scenario here is the people who were in command were told by somebody that the building was going to come down and were given that sort of story that were really concerned about the damage, really concerned about the fires, et cetera. And even they did not make that judgment for themselves um, and that there was not some sort of grand conspiracy involving the fire department. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just important to disavow that notion right, right from the get-go. Um, but yeah. Um, Are you going to play the next clip? I think we want to uh, we want to show a couple slides now, and I think we want to say, yeah. okay, everybody knew that this was going to come down. Uh, it must have been easy for the engineering community to explain why this building came down if everybody knew that it was going to come down um, and had been saying so all day, and if this engineer knew five hours in advance that it was. Um, clearly, this event was very, very explainable. Um, so why don't we see what the engineering community had to say about it aftermath? Uh, uh, here's what the quote says. It says, engineers and other experts were for weeks still stunned by what had happened to Seven World Trade Center. Experts said no building like it, a modern steel reinforced high rise had ever collapsed because of an uncontrolled fire. And engineers have been trying to figure out exactly what happened. Uh, that's from James Glanz of the New York Times, one of our favorite web, our favorite uh, newspapers around here. Yeah, so I think right here, uh, you know, the the lid is blown. Um, it, when you compare, when you juxtapose the foreknowledge with the inability of the engineering community, the the, sh the shock, the, the you know them being stunned, um, right there, the story falls apart. I don't know. <laughs> You know, it's it's like, you, why were they stunned if everybody at the scene knew that it was going to come down? Why didn't they talk to that engineer who said, you've got five hours and this building is going to come down? Um, here, there's an obvious discord here um, that exposes that the foreknowledge was entirely based on somebody having the knowledge that the building was going to be brought down. Um, and so now you have this engineering community with all these, you know, leading experts in the, in the field studying this collapse as if it's some kind of mystery. Um, and that's what, that's what happens for the next 20 years. And now Jose Torero is telling us, and as we'll see in a little bit, it's still a mystery. We'll never know. We'll never know exactly why the building came down. Um, and, and sadly for the engineering profession and sadly for the world, um, you know, the engineering profession has its by and large, has its head in the sand are the people that have been called upon to explain how these buildings came down have their head in the sand 
Um, why don't we look at the next quote? And this is the, you already mentioned this. This is FEMA's statement in, in the spring of 2002. And let me just add before I do that, uh, according to NIST, the, the the reason that Building 7 came down was because of thermally expanding beams pushing into a girder. How do you make that determination uh, that that event is going to happen from the outside of the building? Was this engineer on the inside measuring the, the beams with a little tape measure and saying, okay, about five hours now? Doesn't make any sense. All right, next uh, slide here. <clears throat> the specifics of the fires in World Trade Center 7 and how they caused the building to collapse remain unknown at this time. Although the total diesel fuel on the premises contained massive potential energy, the best hypothesis has only a low probability of occurrence. And that is from FEMA's performance study, May 2002. Yeah, so here now the, the lid is completely blown. There's no way that um, people on the scene should have been able to predict something that FEMA says has only a low probability of occurrence. The best, after nine months of thinking about it, the best thing that they can come up with, the best hypothesis has only a low probability of occurrence. How they don't know, FEMA doesn't know eight or nine months later, even though everybody at the scene knew before it was going to come down. I don't know of any example in history of an event that could be predicted beforehand and then not be impossible to explain afterwards. Um, when something like that happens, you say, how did the people know that it was gonna happen? You know, if somebody, I mean, we can use some, some grim metaphors here, some you know, comparisons, um, like somebody says, oh, Ted has a cough this morning, he's going to die tonight, and then I die, and then the coroner can't understand why I died. Um, you would be asking the person who said I was gonna die, you know, what happened. Um, but that sadly has not um, happened here. All right, we're moving on to the next uh, slide. Yeah, I, th I think, um, yes. Okay, <clears throat> it says the World Trade Center towers and World Trade Center 7 are the only known cases of total structural collapse in high-rise buildings where fire played a role. That is from NIST. Uh, final plan, August 21st, 2002. Yeah, so this was at the, 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 the launch of the NIST investigation a couple of months after FEMA released its report. Um, as we pointed out in the last discussion two weeks ago, NIST is saying what the, what the conclusion is at the beginning of their investigation. Um, they have a predetermined conclusion. Um, but we also just are two months removed from FEMA saying that the best, best hypothesis has a low probability of occurrence. So why why is NIST so certain that it was fire? You know, um, obviously we know we know why. But let's uh, let's move to the next one. So the NIST investigation starts in August of two thousand two. How long does it take? NIST is trying to finish this this investigation in two years. Then it becomes three years. Then at the end, in midway through two thousand five, they say, oh, we're not going to be able to release our report on Building Seven. With along with the Twin Towers, it's going to take us longer. They released the report on Twin Towers in 2005. Then we get to 2006, the spring of 2006. What does um, Shime Sunder have to say? All right. Well, this is Mark Jacobson of New York Magazine. Right. He said NIST did have some pre uh, right. preliminary he's, hypothesis. Let me, he's quoting Shime oh. Sunder here. Okay. Yeah. NIST did have some prim uh, preliminary hypotheses on 
seven World Trade Center. Dr. Sunder said, we are studying the horizontal movement east to west internal to the structure on the fifth to seventh floors. Then Dr. Sunder paused, but truthfully, I don't really know. We've had trouble getting a handle on building number seven. All right, so four and a half years into their, three and a half years into their investigation, um, they're still having trouble getting a handle on, on building seven. Um, I don't, I think that it's self-explanatory. <laughs> uh, if you're not going to look at the most likely hypothesis and the only <laughs> hypothesis that's really possible, you're going to have trouble. So why don't we go to the next one? And I think we're, okay, I'm sorry. We can go back to, we can go back to Shyam's last statement and we'll go now to a video clip so of, of, this is in 2008, um, Shyam Sunder presenting at the release of the draft report of Building 7 in August 2008. We play the next video clip, Andy. Was why really Here did this building come down? And, um, and as we dug into it more carefully, we first looked at uh, whether the columns may have had uh, fuel because of the lot of uh, diesel fuel that was stored in the building. And we quickly uh, based on some calculations, figured out the fires that have been had to have been there for a very long time from the jet from the diesel fuel to actually bring this building down, um, and therefore we then had to look further. Um, and as we dug into it, we figured out that there was a phenomenon that we had not previously recognized in current practice: the issue of thermal expansion, which actually could cause this particular problem to happen. But that insight, we didn't have that insight till early last year, early part of 2007. Okay, so basically what he's, what he's admitting there is that they didn't have any idea until 2007. 2007, after almost five years of investigating, they finally came up with their theory. It was something that they had just never considered before. And it was something that has never been sort of thought, considered in design practice as being an issue of how buildings can come, you know, can collapse due to fire that you can, when he talks about thermal expansion, talking about, you know, beams, girders, heating up and expanding because of the heat. Um, that, that had never been considered as something that could really bring a building down. Um, and it took them four and a half years to come up with the idea. Um, I think that's an important thing that is often overlooked is how long it took NIST to come up with that theory. Juxtapose that with the absolute certainty that building was going to come down um, on 9-11, and obviously you, you have a problem here. So um, the last clip that we're going to play, go ahead, Andy. No, uh, yeah, I mean, they should have talked to the engineer on the street, as I said earlier, because he had a, he had a handle on it, supposedly, right there on that day. So. Yeah. Um, Let's go ahead and play the next clip. You want to introduce it more? Um, this is just one more comment from Shyam Sunder in his presentation. Um, and, and he's just explaining the theory, but I think the key words that he uses are at the beginning where he says building seven, the collapse building seven is no longer a mystery. Let's, so let's watch for that. Our take home message today is that the reason for the collapse of World Trade Center seven is no longer a mystery. World Trade Center 7 collapsed because of fires fueled by office furnishings. It did not collapse from explosives or from fuel oil fires. 
If col it collapsed because fires, similar to those experienced in other tall buildings, burned in the absence of water supply to operate the sprinklers, and burned beyond the ability of firefighters to control it. It fell because thermal expansion, a phenomenon not considered in current building design practice, caused a fire-induced progressive collapse. So yeah, I think just what I, what I repeating what I just said before, he uses the word, you know, the collapse of Building 7, the reason for the collapse is no longer a mystery. Um, and we we understand having studied this and most people when they look at the collapse of building seven will understand that it it was never a mystery it was made a mystery by sadly by the engineering community and by the media uh and so on um and that mystery continues till today as we're going to find out um and then he goes on to talk about thermal expansion a little bit. Again, something that had never been considered in design practice, something that had never even come close to causing any sort of serious failures, whether total collapses or partial collapses, caused the collapse of this building, and everybody on the scene knew that was going to happen somehow. So obviously these stories are, are incompatible. All right. So as we can see there, I mean, you can see that Cheyenne Sunder has a little bit of a swagger to him. Like he's really trying to push it, really wants people to buy this after they struggled for all of these years to come up with some explanation, an explanation for an event that the fire department was being told was a certainty. The building's going to come down in five hours, right down to the hour. So I hope everybody sees the point that Ted is making here. Uh, now, Ted, what uh, what is the next slide that we're going to show or the next video? I think now we want to move on to looking at Torero's paper. Um so, so why don't we, Let's yeah. Slide, right? All yeah, right. next slide. Okay, let's move forward. Okay. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna like hand it over to Roland to carry the lion's share here um, in talking a little bit about these different theories. But these are the four, uh, these are the four studies that Torero discusses in his paper. The NIST one is, we, we've talked about already a little bit, although we haven't gone into any sort of detail, which we will a little bit. Arab Nordenson. Um, which was representing, um, working for Sil sorry, working for Con Ed. Weidlinger and Hughes Associates was working for Silverstein. And then the, the BRE Center for Fire Safety and Engineering, which is out of um, University of Edinburgh, was also working for Con Edison. Um, you'll, as you notice, we were actually astonished, although maybe we shouldn't have been. We were kind of astonished when we first saw this paper in the fall of uh, 2020. And saw that the UAF study wasn't there, even though the UAF study was published earlier that year. Um, I'm going to ask this question off the cuff. Roland, didn't somebody approach him and ask why Why was the UAF study not, not included in the paper? Were you privy to that um, outreach? No, I'm not privy to that. I, I didn't hear that. I recall that somebody contacted him and asked, and he said something about the fire, fire scenario or the fire simulation of the UAF study not being um, robust enough or something like that. And and so he's just not gonna include it in his in his paper. Um, why not include it and then you know rebut it, say say what's wrong, you know, why completely exclude it from the scientific um, debate, I guess if you want to call it that, that is that is going on here. Um, so yeah. Well it would seem that that would be the logical uh, thing to do since he's pointing out that the studies that they have 
pointing to fire as the cause can't converge. So if that's the case, then you begin to look elsewhere. Yeah, you, you ought to, you ought to. Um, let's, why don't we, so we, we have two more uh, slides that are talking a little bit and then we'll help us sort of differentiate what these different theories are. Uh, All right, so this is the next quote, right? <clears throat> Yep. yep. All right. It says, despite the tremendous efforts of the various investigative teams, there is no consensus regarding the exact initiating mechanism. IREP's analysis showed that girder 44 to 79 would be pulled off of its seat, opposite to the prediction by NIST, which show the girders pushed off of their seats. Okay. So those are the two differing theories from NIST and IREP. In a couple slides, we're going to have a little diagram so that we can explain a little bit more about what these theories consist of. But to repeat that, you've got Arup saying that this key girder is being pulled off its seat by several beams, which are sagging. And then you've got NIST saying that that same girder is pushed off its seat due to the expansion of those beams. So let's move on to the next slide. A little bit of a contradiction there. All right, it says, WAI's analysis points towards a floor beam connection following, followed by entire floor collapsing. Finally, the BRE mechanical room fire scenario predicts that the failure may have occurred due to a completely different fire caused by a breach of the emergency power system. <clears throat> okay, yeah, so these two theories are, we're gonna talk a little bit more in a second, are more different than the first from the first two. The, the 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 theory at the top of the slide, Widlinger's has to do essentially says like a lower floor, saying that floor was just super super heated, and and collapsed, and because the other floors below it were super super heated with outrageous temperatures that aren't wouldn't have been really possible, all those floors collapsed on each other. That's just the starting point um, of their theory, and then there's this other totally different theory from Torero, um, the, the BRE Fire Safety Institute. Um, which has to do with a fire much lower down in the building. Uh, so why don't we go to the next slide and, and maybe Roland can talk a little bit more about the different. Sorry to cut it short, folks, but we only have an hour allotted in the broadcast streams, but you can go to 911freefall.com and catch the full interview. You can watch it on video as well. So for my part, this is Andy Steele saying have a great week. Good luck.